Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. I want to share a message with you today, and the message is titled Responding Looks Like Rejection. We've been speaking a lot here about responding now. Uh, I want to say about four weeks in total, and, and probably more, but, but four weeks with, that, with, with the title of Responding. And um, today's message is titled Responding Looks Like Rejection. I wish I had something to give away right now, because maybe I would say something like, hey, I want to give away blank. If you could tell me what responding looks like, what are some of the things we've covered right off the top of my head? Um, but God forbid if I give you whatever I have in my pocket, which is really not much. I don't want to be known as that church that gives money away to someone, so I'm not going to do that. All right? But I'll give you a high five, and that, that'll be great. But um, does anyone remember what, some are the, what are some of the respondings look like? What did we say? Responding looks like growth. growth. Amen. Responding looks like good. And, and this is the third one. Responding looks like rejection. And we are good hope. And we're going to preach, if God allows us, on hope next Sunday. Responding looks like rejection. Write that down on your phones, but bring a notepad. And please start bringing your Bibles. Uh, a Bible is so important for church. Amen? All right. Um, I don't want us to forget how we've gotten here at all. So, so let's kind of do a little quick um, uh, summary. And, and um, let's go back and, and just review where we've been at here. In the beginning of March, we began to teach and we shared that something needs to give. Showing of hands, how many of you remember that message? Something needs to give. And we, we spoke a little bit about Mary, who is Martha and Lazarus, um, Lazarus and Martha's sister. If you remember, any, Lazarus has a very famous story in the Bible. How many of you remember Lazarus' famous story? All right. He's the, one, he's the one that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came from the he woke up from the dead, all right, resurrected. Now, Mary is the sister, and she, we, we know that she spent time at the feet of Jesus. And we said that she found that her greatest expression towards him, her greatest expression in responding towards him is to give him what was most costly. We, we spoke about that, that her giving this perfume was symbolic for giving her life fully. And making this moment of most value to her. Hopefully you haven't forgotten on that. Why am I surrendering this? Why am I giving this? Because it is no oh man. It is no longer of great value. He is now of great value. Your its need to start becoming he's in your life. Okay. He is of most value now. Man, I could just stay on that. Her giving this perfume was symbolic for that. That she was committed and devoted to the one who was first committed and devoted unto her, towards her. Mary was faithful. We have all this stuff on podcasts. Go back and listen to it. Mary was committed. Mary was devoted in finding, and we see it in scripture, the feet of Jesus. We've taught that go back and listen to it don't have the time right now to get into it again but but the feet of Jesus is a very symbolic and interesting position and posture in the New Testament 
And that's the place where she was devoted to. Go back, learn about the feet of Jesus. Learn about those times and learn about that posture. All right? Mary was that. Her response was more. She gave all. She found every, this is, this is important. She found everything in actually nothing. And she found fulfillment in emptying. She found fullness in emptying. She received the revelation living out before her who was him. Not it, him. If your faith is based on an it, at any point now your faith will crumble. This, this right here is an it. You come to it. But, but together we stand and we come before him. It, it's got to be before him. Our reasoning in, in continuing and remaining in this, and we've said this, is because I believe that the Lord wants to show us what responding to it, no, him looks like. And we need to remember that, that if we've, that if we've been touched by the Lord, if we've encountered him, we need to remember that each one of us now has a responsibility. We are responsible with what has been given to us, and we are also responsible with what we have encountered. And, or let me just say that better, with what has encountered us. <laughs> I mean, Paul was walking on the road, and <laughs> Jesus encountered him. Okay. Luke 12 says that for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. You're praying for more? You're going to be required for more. Okay. Very important. It's like the raise. You, know, you, you want the raise? Well, you're going to be required for more. You want to be used more, you're going to be required of more. More of him should bring forth more of you. More out of you. Am I speaking to the right people? It should. It really should. So as we continue to talk about encountering the Lord, not just single encounters, write that down for goodness sakes. Not just single encounters. In which you only have one story to tell how the Lord has shown up in your life. But I'm talking about multiple, even daily encounters in which you and God are so in tuned and a part of each other's day. Why not? Why not? How many of you, when I say that, you're like, that's not biblical. Multiple, even daily encounters in which you and God are so in tuned and so part of each other's day. And my question, which is rhetorical and it's not for you to answer, is why not? And, and is that too mystical and maybe too difficult for us to believe for ourselves? Can I really encounter God on a daily basis, and not just daily, but moment by moment, where I'm being awed by him. We said responding looks like surrender. Responding looks like growth. And if you haven't experienced it yet, I want to share with you today this one truth, that responding also looks like rejection. 
Responding also looks like rejection. Let me give you some, some, some things here. When Jesus came to earth, some th when Jesus came to earth and spent three and a half years before his followers displaying what a lifestyle of devotion looks like, because I believe that's the ultimate call when Jesus was here, what a lifestyle of devotion looks like. He came with, te this is important, he came with teachings that sounded nothing like anyone else had ever taught. He carried something that no past self proclaiming Messiah had ever carried and he lived and spoke as men of this earth yet at the same time he sounded as a man from a whole other world another planet when Jesus came and demonstrated his lifestyle for only th only three and a half years I believe those three statements are true as a matter of fact respected men who paid a lot of money to arrest him and bring him back to be killed they failed to do so. They failed to do so because they would say, we've never heard a man speak the way he speaks, so we didn't dare lay our hands on him. So good. He did not come to win a crowd. That might affect some of you. But the more I read the New Testament, the more I see that he actually came for the crowd. He did not come to win a crowd. There were so many ways he could have won the crowd. As a matter of fact, I'm going off my notes for a moment, but, but every time the crowd got around him to give him a crown to make him king, he would depart from them and escape. And like, where'd you go? They found him the next morning. We wanted to make you king. He's like, because what you want from me is not necessarily what I came for. He, he almost ran from crowds rather than if he was going to start such a revolution, you would think that he would run before the crowds and start up a massive army with the crowds. Instead, in his three and a half years of ministry, he was running away from the crowds. He was like, that's not what I want to do right now. He didn't come to win a crowd because most of his words would eventually push and scare them away. He came to win instead a peculiar people, a specific people, a people that I would love to call because we believe this a lot here in our church, a not normal individual, peculiar person. A peculiar people that truly heard what he was saying and whose hearts would burn with his words and with the lifestyle that he left for them to follow. That's the people in the group he was coming for. I'll give you some examples in a moment. But I believe that's who he was coming for. I'm going to speak before this crowd, but really before this crowd, as I speak my words, many in this crowd won't get it. But there will be a peculiar group of individuals that will receive. And he says all throughout scripture, he who has ears, let him hear. Why? Because everyone in the crowd heard, but not everyone in the crowd understood. This was just meant for the burning ones, for the peculiar ones. So, so when one would encounter him, he would say things like, let's get into scripture for a moment. He would say things like this, if you're taking notes, Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 49 through 53. When someone would encounter him, he would say things like, I came to, I came to send fire on earth. How do you win someone like that? And how I wish, it, this is so important from last week's message. And how I wish it were already kindled. I wish how it was already burning. I, I, did you see that? I came to set a fire in the earth. What is he really saying there? I, I, the reason I came is to set a fire in the hearts of people. I came to set a fire, and, and as I set that fire, that that fire can now arouse many others to catch. I'm gone. That fire in you, 
others better catch it. I, I've come to send fire and how I wish it would be burning. Does everyone get that? Because I'll preach the last week's message all over again. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, 50, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Yeah. Isaiah says you're the prince of peace. Do you, do, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? This gets real, real interesting now. Jesus' words, okay? Red letters in your Bible. But I tell you not at all, but rather I came to bring the vision. And he says, from now on, five will be in one house and will be divided. Three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I just want you to know that son-in-laws are the best. <laughs> Notice, nothing there is not talking bad about us. It's not talking bad about son. And all the men. That's right. You can say what you want to say, but Jesus said it in red letters. And <laughs> I came to send fire and how I wish it was burning. And I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to separate people. I, I came to bring one from one group and push them to another side and say, um, goats over here, sheep over here. I, I came to bring true so, so you read Luke 12, 49 through 53, and, and here is the cost of having a fire in your heart. What's the cost? Everyone say, what's the cost? The, the cost of having a fire is that there is division and there is now rejection, and it could even be among your very own family because the fire burning in the ones I call mine and the ones that they call me theirs. I belong to you when you belong to me. I belong to you, you belong to me. And, and that phrase, when it becomes a lifestyle and a reality, in the, in the core of your being, there's people that you thought loved you, but when they start to see that you live for a different set of values and a different set of presence, they no longer will walk where you will walk. Ah. Because your lifestyle will bring conviction to who they are. And as long as I want to live like this, I can't hang with you. Because every time I hang with you, you make me feel bad. Good. There is no other way we would want to have it. There's a fire burning in us. There's a fire. Let, listen, for the cause of the fire, let people walk away. For the cost of the fire, let it be. I mean, Jesus gets to the, to the heart of it. I'm talking about even children and their parents. Parents and their children. It'll, it'll get that deep. I've seen that. I've seen, I've seen how, how family has, has called our gatherings like this cultish to, to stop their children from growing. And people, no, it's fireish. You said it wrong. There's a fire in my heart, mom. And there's a fire in my heart, dad. And there's a fire in my heart, boo. Whatever you call them. You know, Rudy and we always... Pookie and... Pookie cupcake and... Muffin. Let's keep reading scripture. In John 15, 18 through 21... Look, look at the words of, of Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. 
Yet because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, I'm going to read this part. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they've kept my word, they keep your words. 21, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. I'm going to skip down to 25. But this happened that the world might be the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. cost of having that fire, that lifestyle, that burning in your heart. Many times Jesus was driven out of cities. I can't tell you that Jesus was the only one driven out of cities. We had here years ago a man from oh shoot, Pakistan or something like that? I forgot, sorry, forgive me. Who can no longer see family and can no longer step into his country because they'll kill him. Because he couldn't, he, he, I think his story was a dream and, and he was Muslim. And he dreamed, he, um, he had a vision of God, came to the Lord, started preaching the Lord. His village was transformed into Christianity. The Muslim raiders came in, they burned the whole village. The next day, what were they going to do? All their homes were on fire. Everything was disastrous. Many passed. He said, well, we're going to still have church. The next morning, they took pictures of it. He came to our church, and they showed a picture from a photographer standing behind him. Surrounding villages and people from all over came because they found out what had happened. And he said, for the first time ever, with no buildings, no church, no structure, I think it was 2,000. We had, and you see the mass crowd, 2,000 in attendance, and he declared the gospel before 2,000. They were going to kill him and persecute him. He now preaches for Voice of Martyrs and he lives here in the States and he's going around preaching about how, what people are going through for the cost of the fire that's in their heart. He can't even go back to his own land because a prophet won't even be recognized in their own land. He goes back there, they'll kill him. He has family members that he loves. He won't never be able to see them again. But if you ask him, was it worth it? He'll look at you and say, Every day of my life. There's so many stories like that. I was speaking to a good friend of mine. A good, good friend of mine. And um, they were telling me the story of his wife, uh, of, of her grandmother. And um, they wanted to give them Jesus because the family is rejecting that both the husband and the wife, my friends, are with the Lord. And they're on fire for the Lord. And their family doesn't want to hear it. The grandmother was in, and, and I shared with him a little bit of what I was going to share today during the week. And he says, share our story. Just, we know a lot of people in your church don't mention our names <laughs> as of right now. And they said that they went and they, they preached to Abuela. And um, she told her about faith and, and, and the Lord and eternity and, and what could be before her. And the grandmother's words to her granddaughter was, don't come with that stuff over here today. I don't want to hear that. Shortly right after that, she passed away. Like if that doesn't right now just cause something inside of you. And you are cold. You're as cold as ice. But imagine that your very own family rejects that which you represent and that which you hold inside. Amen? Many times, not just Jesus, but many followers, Paul and Peter, many Many followers of Jesus till today, 2018, many times Jesus was driven out of cities. Many times they tried to kill him. 
and he will continue to say things about himself like this. Ready? Mark 12, 10. And I just shared this. Have you not even read the scripture that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? He says things like that. I'm being rejected, but know this, that the stone which the builders rejected, which is me, has become the chief cornerstone. One day, they'll have to look at this stone. In Matthew 8, it's such an amazing story. I'm not going to get into it right now, but, but I'll, I'll give you the, the meat of it. In Matthew 8, he heals two demoniacs. Two demoniacs. He heals, or better yet, he sets free and delivers two men from demon possession. That's what a demoniac is. Two men, two men who lived, it was so bad, they would cut themselves and they would live among the dead bodies, among tombs and grave sites. They were described in scripture in Matthew 8 as being extremely violent and exceedingly fierce. That people wouldn't even travel through that area because of these two demoniacs. Jesus sets them free from their demons. Okay, hooray. Look at verse 33 and 34. It says, The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men. Verse 34. The entire town came to meet Jesus. You're, you're thinking, this is a good story. They're all going to come. They're all going to get saved. They're all going to say, come back with us. They're all going to say, hey, I got a couple of, of demoniacs in my house too that I need you to do a miracle in. I want you... They all come out from the city to see who Jesus is. And instead they say what? They begged him to go away and leave them alone. Like, like I want you to see what this is. Here is individuals who what they should have done is, is, whoa, fall at his feet. Recognize what he just did. Invite the man over for goodness sakes. Invite him in. Invite him. Because if you didn't know... He could transform your whole town right away. He could transform everyone right away. But they did not want such a man in their town to start. Let me tell you why. This is what I believe. Ready? Why didn't they want Jesus in their town? Because if this man who just did this miracle sign and wonder did this, then I don't want him in our town. Why? Because then he's going to start changing things around here. And I believe that the reason why people don't want Jesus to go deeper in is because deeper in you will cause greater change in you. And are we ready for greater change that comes from deeper presence and deeper intimacy and a deeper reign in your heart that erupts all those things that shouldn't be there out and ejects them all out? So they come to Jesus and what they sh their response should have been what? Come in. But the response was reject. I mean, it does not make sense at all, but it does make sense totally. It does make sense. They, they, they didn't want him to come here and change things around. Sin and self-interest was more of worth than holiness and righteousness and a separation from a world. And it could look like rejection and, and they did not want that. We are fine with the way we live and we are well with the way things are around here and there is no way that we can be well with normality and casualness and even sin and even self I mean there's got to be a place where we say Jesus you need to come in here too and rock this place but no they reject him leave us alone 
Let me go in more. In Luke 4, he's in Nazareth. If you did not know this, he was not born in Nazareth. He had to escape Nazareth. But he, that was his hometown. And in Nazareth, his very own hometown, this is such a cool story. Many, many that he knew were there. It was a church day and they went to the synagogue and they were Jewish. And because they were Jewish, because they were Jewish, um, they all got together in their local synagogue. And in getting together, you could imagine, because it's his hometown, many that were there were family, were friends, were neighbors, were friends of family. I mean, I, I could say this, that when you look at Luke 4, I could bet that Jesus knew everyone in attendance there, and everyone in attendance probably knew Jesus. They, or they probably knew Mary and Joseph. Many he knew were there. And being a Jew, he goes to the synagogue... And it's so interesting because on that day, he, it was common for them to give to see what was going to be the reading of the scripture of that day. And he opens up to the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, he reads a prophecy that is speaking about himself. As he reads this prophecy and he starts to teach, I want everyone to look at Luke 4 verse 22 and watch what they say. It says, everyone spoke well of him. And was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. And they said, how can this be? Isn't this the son of Joseph? They were all amazed. Wow. Look how gross. You've ever been somewhere when you were, you know, wow. Look what you made of yourself. Family member says that a friend of someone you know. And that's what they were saying about Jesus. That was pretty good. Pat him on the back. Good word. Good word. It's a good word today. You taught what? Good job. So Jesus hears this praise. And as he hears this praise, he says, I'm going to go deeper with them. And he begins to, I would use the word rebuke or correct, their ignorance. If you read the whole story, he begins to teach on them and their ignorance. And these are, these are friends and these are family members and these are friends of family. I want us to go to verse 28 now after Jesus touches their heart here with his words. In verse 28, 29, and 30, it says... When they heard this, his teachings and rebuke, the people in the synagogue were furious. And it says, jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. Verse 30, but he passed right through the crowd and he went on his way. Wow. Guys, back, back, back. Back to this passage. They were neighbors. They were friends. They were friends of family. They were family. That a moment ago, they were amazed at how he spoke. And now they're dragging him out of his hometown, ready to throw him off a cliff to kill him. What happened that one moment you're praising, and the next moment you're rejecting, ready to kill him? Total rejection from his very own people. Total rejection from him. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in one of his books. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In one of his books, The Cost of Discipleship, he reminds us, and he says this, that suffering and rejection are two separate experiences. Had Jesus only suffered in the crucifixion, he might have still been praised as the Messiah for whom the, from who the Jews hoped. But Jesus suffered more than torture and agonizing pain. He also suffered rejection. I want to get into in one, one more passage here. Well, a lot more passages, but let's read another one. In Luke 17, 
verses 22 through 25. Jesus is with his followers and with his disciples. And he tells them this. He says, then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. But you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is, there is the Son of Man. Here he is, but don't go out and follow him. Verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. And the last verse, but first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by his own generation. By this generation. Guys, I'm not making, this is scripture after scripture after scripture to show you that Jesus demonstrated a lifestyle of rejection. Let me, let me get personal now. Let, let me get to a place where maybe you could feel this better. And I'll read from the Passion on this one. It's in Luke 23, verse 17. Luke 23, Jesus is arrested and beaten, unrecognizable already, I believe. And as, he, as he's unrecognizable, an amazing encounter, he's bleeding, he's before a massive crowd. And, and the ones before this crowd are the very ones that he fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. Are the very crowds that saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And, and here is a crowd before him. Verse 17. Same crowd that saw so many signs, wonders, and miracles. It says, for it was Pilate's custom, and he's at the point of his death now. He's at the point of crucifixion. It says, for it was Pilate's custom to honor the Jewish holiday by releasing a prisoner. And when the crowd heard this, they went wild. Erupting with anger, they cried out, no. Take this one away and release Barabbas. For Barabbas had been thrown in prison for, for robbery and murder. It's so crazy what conviction to the heart can cause man to do. It could cause man to kill an innocent man, but yet free a murderer. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, tried to convince them. It was best to let Jesus go, but... But they cried out over and over, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, Pilate asked the crowd, what evil crime has this man committed that I should have him crucified? I haven't found one thing that warrants a death sentence. I will have him flogged severely and then I'll release him. Let me just beat him. But the people and the high priest, this is so important, the people and the religious leaders, Shouting like a mob. I almost want to say the people with great authority. They began to scream out at the top of their lungs. No. Crucify him. Crucify him. And finally their shouts and screams succeeded. And Pilate caved into the crowd and ordered that the will of the people be done. Verse 25. He released the guilty murderer Barabbas. And insist, and they, that as they insisted, and handed Jesus over to be crucified. I want, I want to share some thoughts in my heart after all these passages that I just read. 
And I want you to know this. I tell you that, that Jesus coming to earth is a life that is displaying rejection. Since the beginning of time, not all have followed. Until now, not all will follow. And though many times there were hundreds and there were thousands surrounding him, he knew that only a few had true hearts that were on fire for him. His purpose was to continue to speak into crowds. Don't get me wrong. But I will speak into those crowds so that those, and I cap all those letters, those whose hearts will continue to hear can hear. I'm going to speak to those crowds for the sake of those. And that is why when, when he told crowds things like, you must eat of my flesh and you must drink of my blood, many walked away from him that day to never follow him again. Many, actually all of them turned away from him to never follow him again. And he turns around and what does he make eye contact with? He turns around and there's a handful that heard it differently. There's a handful that remained because what I heard with my ears sounded different than what those people heard with their ears. Put me up here a little bit. I can't. Put me up. I heard something. It's good. Thank you, bro. It's good. I heard something that the crowds didn't hear. I'm staying. You must eat my body and you must drink my blood. We're out of here. And he turns around. He says, what about you? And Peter looks at the rest of them and says, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say exactly what we feel. I'm going to say exactly what's going on in us. And he steps up and he says, we're not going anywhere. Your words burn in our hearts and have eternal life. Your words are true. He speaks to a crowd. The crowd runs away from him. He turns around and there's a handful that remain. Because everyone heard his voice. But on that day, a handful understood it differently. I mean, we're talking about intimacy stuff here and devotion stuff here. And come on, pray a little bit louder. And come on, get into his presence. And we understand that not everyone in attendance might understand what is being said. But we're going to keep saying it for the ones that understand. We're going to keep saying it for the ones that understand. Because if the ones that are hearing it different from the crowd, they're going to start burning. And if that fire is genuine and it's from the Lord, it's going to be consistent. Not inconsistent, but consistent. And when it's consistent, I believe everyone else will start burning. Either they'll walk away or they'll jump in and say, I'm going to burn. What an amazing passage. Different handful of people heard it. See, there are many crowds around Jesus. And I believe that there are many crowds around Jesus today. And I'm going to be very uh, truthful and yet I'm going to be honest with my, my heart. It does not mean that they're all hearing what he's really saying. Because if they were, wouldn't you agree with me that cities would be fully transformed? And would we even be able to say maybe even our own country would be fully transformed already? I believe that if these crowds that are truly coming to the Lord, 
and they're really hearing what he's saying. There, there is something happening that finally, I mean, how, do you, how, how are there 20,000 people? And when they leave from that building, how are those 20,000 people not rocking their homes and, and their jobs and their, and, their, and, their, and their environment? There's no way that those 20,000 people that erupted with praise are going back home and they're not erupting the world around them. Because now all the crowds around Jesus are hearing exactly what he's saying. And I want to make sure we understand that it's always been like that from the beginning of time. It's always been like that. What, what many might be hearing, it could be something popular, and it could be something exciting, and something entertaining, and something even positive. But when Jesus says things like, eat my body and drink my blood, that sounds different. <laughs> that sounds a little bit more extreme. When something sounds like this, I'm going to read in a moment what I mean by that. To go deeper, a few in the massive crowds hear it like, like what happened on this day and they remain. Because listen to this, now this goes beyond being popular. It's unpopular and it's not normal. Now it's not just exciting, but it's exciting to see where the surrendered and rejected life for Jesus Christ will lead you. Now it's not just entertaining. If you were here at 9.30, hopefully entertaining means something different to you. But, but, but it's not just entertaining. But now I'm entertaining to the fact that now I'm humbled and awed on my face because of a glory and encounters that I'm, being, that I'm experiencing now. That now it doesn't have the form of just positive, but it actually has the, the form of negative. Eat my blood, uh, drink my blood, and eat my flesh. Doesn't sound positive. But inside you, there's something so positive that is being made alive in you, a world that you never knew that it could become alive in you again. Man, that's powerful. So I want to share a couple stories from Paul because I think he, he felt it different. So I want to read this to you. Ready? Well, you know what? Let, let, me not, um, let me not get to Paul. Let's read Luke 14 first. In Luke 14, verse 25, it says this, as massive crowds, everyone say massive crowds. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers, and yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. New King James says you will have to hate your mother, your father. New King James just goes right into it and says you need to hate them. But it doesn't mean you hate them. It means that compared to my, your love for me is as if you hate them. That's what your love looks like. Let's just keep going. This is the price that you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. Verse 25, guys. As massive crowds followed him. He speaks harsh and he says, this is what it'll look like to be a follower. As what followed him? Verse 27. And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own cross. Or he cannot be considered to be my disciples. Verse 28. So don't follow me without considering what it will cost you. For who will construct a house before first sitting down to estimate the cost to complete it? Otherwise, he may lay the foundation and not be able to finish it. The neighbors will ridicule him saying, look at him. He started to build but couldn't complete it. Count the cost. Have you ever heard of a commander who goes out to war without first sitting down with strategic planning to determine the strength of his army to win the war against a stronger opponent? Count the cost. If he knows he doesn't stand the chance of winning the war, the wiser commander will send out delegates to ask for the terms of peace. Verse 33. Likewise, unless you surrender all to me, 
giving up all your possessions, you cannot be one of my disciples. Verse 34, salt is good for seasoning, but if salt were to lose its flavor, how could it ever be restored? It will never be useful again, not even fit for the soil or the manure pile. Crap. And if you have ears opened by the Spirit, then hear the meaning of what I have said and apply it to yourselves. If you have ears, then hear. Guys, come on. Let's be very honest with Scripture face to face. That's not a positive word if you want to gain followers. He even mentions in his pre... I know. Because when they translated it over, the church at that time wanted to be very polite to, to, to their parishioners. So they put what we have now in the English language, manure pile. I believe Jesus would say equivalent to what we would say is, is it's, it's as crap. He was so passionate and intense with what he was trying to say to his crowd. To what crowd? The massive crowds. And he says, if anyone in this crowd has ears, let them hear. And, and, I, and I'm looking at this passage in Luke 14, and all I could think of as I was reading it throughout the week is that the word rejection, it doesn't just mean being rejected by others like we've already learned, though it is that. But it also means this. It means declining, or I like to use this word better, exiting a life of normal patterns. It's exiting a life of normality and casualness to one that is now rejected to be set apart and holy. The word rejection for you, it might not even be for you right now in this time that we're living in. It might not be that you're going to be burned at the stake. But it might mean that your life from now on, because of rejection, is going to be set apart and holy for a cause that is burning so deep inside of you rather than any other cause that you could live for. I believe that that definition is also true in this passage here because he's calling them to a different lifestyle. He's calling them to, to be set apart and holy. If the thousands among thousands, and I'm going to include us in the thousands among thousands, that are flocking to churches this weekend as we speak, have embraced the lifestyle of rejection, then cities should be catching his fire by now already. Including us in that group because we are part of the thousands. There is no way that Jesus says things like Luke 14 and looks at us in the eyes and says, you are the salt of the earth. And if you lose your flavor, then it's useless. And he's speaking to a massive crowd. And I believe in 2018, this weekend, he again is speaking to a massive crowd. And he's saying, what is your salt giving off? What is your lifestyle? Is it rejected? Is it set apart? And is it holy and righteous for my cause? Now I'm going to get to Paul, and, and I'm going to ask uh, Isaiah to come up and Ali. I want to look at Paul's life in Philippians 3. I'm going to start off in verse 4. Just, just let, let the word preach it. Maybe I won't even say anything. I'll let you just receive the revelation. I'll let the ones that hear, that have ears hear. Listen to this. Philippians 3, 4 says, It's true that I once relied on all that I had become. Paul. I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others. <laughs> Look what he says here. From my, I love how Passion puts this. From my pedigree is, was impeccable. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel as a son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and I was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism. I lived a separated and I lived a devout life as a Pharisee. Come on, Paul. 
Verse 6, and concerning the righteousness of the law, of the Torah, of the Old Testament teachings, look what he says, no one surpassed me. I was knowledgeable than all. And I followed it more than anyone else that I knew. I mean, Paul, this is a young Paul saying, in a young life, when, when he's saying these things, he's talking about a young life of Paul, and he's really claiming to be someone here. Do you know we know that's true because when Stephen was killed, as we learned last week, they put the clothes to the one who had authority amongst the group of murderers. And the one who had authority in that massive crowd that was killing Stephen, they laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, which is Paul. So what he's saying is true about himself. Look what he says next. No one surpassed me. I was without a peer. Do you guys get that? No one was at my level. I was top of my game. No one touched me. You might look at that and say pride, but when you study scripture, he's being truthful. Prideful too, but truthful. He's saying, I was a pride man. Look where he led him. Furthermore, as a fiery defender of what he would call the truth, I persecuted many believers. I persecuted the Messianic believers. Those are Jews that have become Christians. With religious zeal, Paul was known for running into homes, grabbing children, women from their husbands, husband persecuting them, imprisoning them, even killing them. Okay. What is Paul saying in Philippians 3 verses 4, 5, and 6? Here it is. I was accepted, I fit in while being religious. I had it all. Verse 7. I wanted to preach. I wanted to preach to its, itself to you. Here it is, verse 7. Yet all of the accomplishments that I just mentioned in those verses, all the accomplishments that I took credit for that I just told you, I have now forsaken them. And I regard it as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus as my Lord. And I'm this, I'm that, I did this, I did that. Look at my resume, man. You could not mess with me. I was the great, I was known, I was popular. People were walking around taking pictures. I mean, Paul was it. And he was young. He was going to, I'm telling you this, he was going to rule Jerusalem one day. He was, he was being prepped to rule Jerusalem one day. But verse 7 says, Yet all my accomplishments, I've forsaken them all. And now they're nothing compared to the delight. And I want you to make sure you see what Paul says here. He doesn't say of knowing. Because on that road on Damascus, he didn't just know Jesus there. What does he say? I've put it all away because it's nothing to me after I've experienced who my Messiah is. How, how long have we been preaching this? His experience trumped all of his knowledge. Lord showed them that day in all of your understanding and knowledge of wisdom you were blinded by the one truth that stands before you and he had to confront his lifestyle Saul or Paul 
Paul, why are you persecuting me? What? You heard me. Why are you persecuting me? And who are you that I persecute you? He's speaking to some glory. I know it's so glorious because everyone fell off their horses and Paul was made blind instantly. And he says, I am Yeshua, I am the Lord Messiah who reigns and sits at the right hand of the Father and in the hearts of the ones that you persecute. And every time you persecute one of them, imprison one of them, and kill one of them, you do it to me. Get me back up, Lord. And I will tell the world that the one that I persecuted is the one that I'm willing to be persecuted for. Get me back up. You will. And you said right. You will suffer much now for my cause. Go to the house. I have one of my sons. And he will lay hands on you. And you will receive sight again. I don't even believe it was just a physical thing. I believe a lot of that stuff was spiritual too. I believe in him being blind, being able to see again had more to do with his spiritual than his physical eyes I believe that when Paul's eyes saw again I believe that Paul's eyes saw again I believe that now he went from what he knew and with his new vision he began to experience began to experience what stood there experience what spoke to him experience not it but experienced him. All of my accomplishments are nothing compared to the delight of experiencing him. What is he saying? I had an encounter. I had an encounter. Maybe that's all that's lacking. Maybe that's all that's lacking. Maybe all that's lacking is an encounter. You've done church well. You've done Bible studies well. You've done mentorship well. You've done spiritual stuff well. But maybe what you've really lacked is just an encounter away. Of Maybe if I could just start encountering what I know could start being what I'm experiencing. Maybe it's just an encounter. You could justify your life all you want right now as you're sitting listening to me. And get mad at me and text me and write me an email later. But what I want you to know is get into a place of encounter. That might be it. That might be finally with the blindness that you're praying for will be opened and has nothing to do with the blindness that you're praying for. It's the blindness that you didn't even know was deeper and that's there. That now you'll start experiencing the things that you see. You'll be in crowds. And as you're in crowds, you'll be like, how come I'm hearing different than they are? Because one day you were blind and now you see. had an encounter verse 8 let's just keep going remember the encounter the light of experiencing him is of more worth than anything else verse 8 to truly know him guys this is serious know him now encountering him knowing him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap come on do you really believe Paul said garbage heap it's all like a pile of manure to me now poop so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus and embrace him as Lord of all greatness. Man. It's almost as if Paul is saying, I've encountered and my encounter led me to respond. And my responding to him looks like this. Ready? 
rejection, a life set apart, holy, with only one as my focal point. To know him meant I let go of everything and I threw it all away. All my boasting is on the power of poop. And now I'm being enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus and embracing him as my Lord. My encounter is causing me to respond more. Look at verse 9 on. I'm just going to read 9, 10, 11, then I'm going to skip to 17 on. It says, my passion is to be consumed. My passion is to be consumed with him, not clinging to my own righteousness. My righteousness will be his based on the fruitfulness of Jesus, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the words of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of the resurrection working in me, working in me, working in me. It's resurrection being made alive again through death and burial. That's what he's saying. I've took on the life of death and burial. Look at the pile of manure. Look at it. Look at the pile of manure. It's buried in the crap, man. Don't post that on Instagram, but but it's buried in the crap. It's buried in there. And the nastiness. I've understood what a life of death and burial is. And because I'm living in death and I'm living in burial, something is being made alive in me more than ever. Through death and burial, through the experience and lifestyle and encounters that I'm having in death and burial, there is now something inside of me. And he says this, and I'm, and I'm longing to know the wonders of Jesus more and experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. Through the poop of death and burial and enjoying that lifestyle I am now being worked inside of me with this resurrection I wouldn't have it any other way there's a resurrection working in me and I will be one with him in his suffering and I will be one with him in his death only then I will be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection verse 17 my beloved friends imitate my walk with God Follow all those who walk according to the way of life we modeled before you. For there are many who live by different standards. As I've warned you many times, I weep as I write these words. Paul is crying. Because not everyone that's saying it is actually saying it from the right place. And not everyone that's saying it is actually real. Look closely in how they walk. And follow the way they walk, the way we've modeled it. How can Paul have an authority to say that? Because he modeled the walk of Christ and he's left a walk for his children to model the way your spiritual fathers have walked. But what about what they're saying? I, I cry as I write this because not everyone that's saying it is actually living it. They're enemies of the cross of the anointed one and doom awaits them. Their God has possessed them and made them mute. They boast in their shameful lifestyles and their minds are in the dirt. But we, everyone say we, are a colony of heaven. We're a colony of heaven on earth. And as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are a colony of heaven on earth. We're not awaiting for a colony in heaven. We are actually a colony of heaven on earth. what a transformation of his life what a testimony he, he's actually writing his testimony down in this passage of 
Philippians. He's actually sharing his testimony to the church of Philippi, if you haven't caught it. In 2 Corinthians 11, after everything I just read to you, look what he says to the church of Corinth. I want to read verse 23 to 27. I want to read from the New Living real quick. Lord, speak to us in this passage right here. He says, I know I sound like a madman. served him far more. This is already at a point of his life where the apostle could say these things because he's not just a young believer now. He's, he's been stoned to death and God has resurrected him. He's also preached so long that someone died and he resurrected the dead person. This is not just some flimsy Paul talking. He's, he's saying, I know I, my lifestyle and my sound that comes out of my mouth, it seems like a madman. But I've served him. I've worked harder. I put it, I, I'm writing you this letter, Corinth, because you guys are sending me letters complaining about your little faith and all that. But let me tell you a little bit about myself. He says, I put it, I've been put in prison more often than all of you. I've been whipped times among times without without number and I've been faced death again I've been faced with death again and again 24 five different times the leaders gave me 39 lashes just like did you know that Paul received 39 lashes like Jesus did how many of you picture Jesus with his back open how many of you know that Paul had his back wide open too scars all over his back I, I received 39 lashes like our Messiah did we, we forget that about Paul I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Jesus at all burning in his heart said it's worth it it's worth it I mean there's no way that someone would do something like this with just knowledge it's worth it it's because his encounters and his love and his experience in the Lord his love and his depth with the Lord must be so strong that many are the times that I've been beaten and Lash that. Actually, the, the, your leaders, the Jewish leaders, 39 times. These were, do you know who whipped him? These were men he worked with. Men he studied with. Men that he taught as well. Because he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And now his, part of his very own group, 39 lashes from my so-called very brethren that I did life with. Because the Lord says, I didn't come to bring unity. When that fire burns in you, the ones you thought who loved you will be the very first ones that will take the whip out to say you're a madman. Paul understood that passage real, real, real good. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I'm about to make a statement and, and you could get mad at me, but three times I was shipwrecked. That could have been really bad. Shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. Can I just make the statement? I read this and I can tell you right now, the, the Christ burning in Paul and Paul here in the physical, I look at this and I said, it looks like he suffered more than Jesus. I mean, this right here, he took on more beatings than Jesus. No doubt. It, it makes Jesus' beatings and death so much more real. 
I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, and in the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during my sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Don't come to me, Corinth. Don't come to me, Corinth. And then tell me all these things. Let me tell you what I've gone through for this Messiah. Let me tell you, I'm not even boasting to tell you what I've gone through. I'm boasting in all these things because of the love and because of the fire that is so deep in my heart that I'm willing, if you ask me again, to do it again. I'll do it again and again and again. I won't stop doing it because nothing could separate me, the same man that wrote that, from the love that is inside of me. Not heaven, not hell, not angels, not height, not death. Nothing could separate me from the love of the Lord. It's the same Paul that says it. Because he has authority to say it. Because he's experienced it. The new Paul was led to a life of resurrection in what seems to be death, persecution, pain, and hurt. And he's resurrected. Do it again. Do it again. Because I'm resurrected inside. As much as you try to kill me, I'm resurrected inside. I've honored the lifestyle of rejection. Do it again. The more you try to kill me, the more alive. Because you don't understand this yet, maybe. Paul did. The more you persecute me. I'm almost done. That was the other arm. And the more you persecute me, the more the... More the, the more the fire burns. You see, your persecution is my drug. Your stones and your whips are my drug. I want more because it gives me more. It's more evidence that it, my message is true. My lifestyle is honorable. rejection now it's not popular it's unpopular and it's not normal oh it's not just exciting for the sake of being oh let's go to this to what's exciting but it's exciting to see where the Lord was going to take me in my surrendered and my rejected life it's not just enter it's not just entertaining it's now entertaining to the fact now Paul's life that I'm humbled and I'm awed because of the glory and the encounters I'm having with him now it doesn't just look positive, but it has a form of negativeness. But inside of me, I'm being made more alive than I've ever been in my life with every whip, with every rejection, with every word that is spoken against me. You make me more alive than I was yesterday. Your rejection brings life. Your rejection sets me apart. Your rejection causes me to be holy. Lord, keep burning and let me Embrace the life of rejection, which might look and sound 
to us like surrendered and everything else we've spoken about might look to us like holy, righteous, it might look like to us like separation, set apart. Paul was not set apart. He was not part of and because he was not part of being set apart, those who were part of came to persecute just like he once did. Come on, how many of you, all you need is an encounter? And then you need that encounter to push you to a place of rejection. A rejection that ejects you into a place of holiness and set apart. Now, Lord, if you've called to bring division, you've called to bring change. You know, you think about division. Well, I don't know. You know, me and my family have a, have a good relationship. Maybe the job you're in. Maybe God says, I'm going to divide you from that job where you have faith in me. And some people have to walk away from jobs now. Some people have to walk away from certain things that they've used, been so used to doing that was common and casual and normal. But because I live now in this rejected life, I'm rejecting also all these things that God is calling me away from. And now some of you are, God's going to place before you Will you trust me enough to walk away from it? For some of you, it's your source of income. But will you walk away from, from it? Because you know that you should have done it a long time ago. So you could go deeper with me. Maybe for some of you guys, it could be so many different things. I'm not here to try to guess what your thing is. But I know the Lord will stir that in your heart. How about all you need for that revelation to become true is just an encounter to the Lord show me and to the Lord lead me. Lord, set me apart. Come on, stand with me and, and let's be in reverence before the Lord as we close our eyes and we examine our hearts. Lord, responding looks like rejection. All over scripture, we read so many passages, you being rejected, you being rejected, you being rejected. But man, as I read that, Lord, it's so good that those rejections were there on paper, there that we could read it, and now there that we could experience it for ourselves, that those rejections led you to a place for us. And like Paul, now that we now follow that lifestyle, was modeled before us and that we will also model it before others because there's people in this church that need me to model it because there's a young there's young ones in my house that need me to model it and if I succeed in everything else but I fail in that then I'm a failure if I win the world but I lose my family I'm a failure
with this church. that here in the crowd start stepping forward let the ones in the crowd stop stepping start stepping forward and, and I want to speak this into your life and as you step forward who cares what the crowd says about you come on embrace the rejection because at the end of that rejection there is an acceptance by the Lord there is a there is an embrace Paul, why do you persecute me? He had to walk away. He had to be rejected by many. But at the end of walking into that rejection, there was an embrace from the same one that suffered much rejection. Oh, man. And I'm telling you today, walk. Walk in your rejection. Listen, the crowd, the crowds are going to say things. The crowds are going to throw things. The crowds will never understand. But I want you to know that you don't live a second of your day for the crowd. You live for the one that stands before the crowd speaking the word, calling the burning ones out of the crowd and start following him. Because if you really are my true disciple, if you really are my true son and daughter, then you're going to model the life that I've left you. The crowds, when I start speaking heavy to them, will walk away from me. But you, that your heart is burning, come on, walk away from the crowd and come burn, burn with me. model my rejected life because there's an embrace from your Savior at the end of that. I don't know, but let's be bold, I guess. Listen, every eye closed. Let's, let's make a statement. If you are the one that's being called out of the crowd right now, hearing things different and you're called into a life of rejection that also brings forth his embrace I want you right now to walk away from that like I want you as you take this step forward I want you to I want it to be almost prophetic in what's happening in your life that you also are taking a step away from the crowds that you're gonna go back and confront in a different lifestyle of Persecuted because I responded to an encounter. So this is what I wouldn't do. I don't care if it's just one of you. But if you're that person that says, I heard something different this morning. I'm the one in the crowd that hears and understands. I want to come up and I want to burn and I want to respond. And even if responding looks like persecution, I'm ready. And I understand that in that, I'm going to embrace him. He's going to embrace me. If that's you, don't even think about it. I'm not even going to try to mess with your emotions. If that's you, just come up right now and, and let's just believe together. Everyone else, love you. I'll see you Wednesday for midweek. But I want to have church with them right now. And I want to just spend as long as God wants us to, us to burn together. You're free to go home, but please be in reverence as you walk out. Please be loving towards them and towards what the Spirit is doing in their hearts. If you want to stay, stay. If you want to come up, come up. If you need to go home, go home. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday. But right now, let's just spend time and those that hear and hear different, let's just pray for burning in their hearts. Thank you guys. Hallelujah.